Okay, since in our last um, podcast we started talking about a little bit more of the uh, predictors and prognosis of traumatic brain injury, we're going to talk a little bit. We're going to start out here with some head injury predictor scales and testing. Um, we talked to some of this so far, but just to talk about poor versus um, better prognosis or predictive indicators, we're going to go through some prognosis and severe head injury. So a GCS score of less than seven is a poor prognosis, and greater than seven is better. On a CT scan, if there's a large blood clot or massive bihemispheric swelling, that's poorer compared to any type of normal CT imaging. Again, age, uh, if you have an older age, it's a poor prognosis, but youth is better. If the pupil For the pupillary light reflex, if it remains dilated, that's worse than if it's pupil contracts, which is better. If you have presence of a dull sign, that's really bad. Uh, if you don't have a dull sign, it's, it's, it's really good. The caloric testing with water, if the eyes do not deviate, that's a poor prognosis, but if they do deviate to the irrigated side, that's a good prognosis. Motor response to noxious stimuli, if you go decerebrate, that's poor, but if you localize uh, or have any type of defensive gestures, that's a, that's a better prognosis. Uh, SSCP, if it's deficient, that's a poor prognosis, but if it's normal, that's better. We'll go over that a little bit more in EMG. And PTA length, again, uh, greater than two weeks is poor and less than two weeks is better. The Glasgow Outcome Scale is another prognostic indicator that we use fairly frequently to help out with this. Um, this includes uh, death, which, uh, excuse me, this is a category from one through five. Number one is death, which again, is that's kind of a self-evident criteria. That's not as much of a, an improvement. Second is vegetative state where you're alive but unconscious. And this is associated with prolonged unconsciousness with no verbalization and no following of commands. You may have absent awareness of self and environment, and the, pa and the patient may open their eyes. There's also absence of cortical function as judged behaviorally and characterized by presence of sleep-wake cycles. Category three is severe disability, which is a uh, conscious but, de but dependent. The patient may be unable to be independent for... The patient is unable to be independent for any 24-hour period by reason of residual mental and or physical disability. A four is moderate disability, where you're independent but remain disabled. And this is where the patient has residual deficits that do not prevent independent daily life, but the patient can travel by public transport and work in a sheltered environment. And a five is good recovery, which is mild to no residual deficit, where they can able to they are able to return to a normal life, and there may be minor or no residual deficits. Some of the pros here that it is a widely used scale, and uh, document documented correlation between acute predictors of outcome and GOS score at six months and twelve months have been shown to be present. Some of the cons are that the categories are broad with limited sensitivity. If you look back at that, for example, the severe disability basically says that you can't be dependent for 24 hours. There's a lot that can go into that. And there's also not a real indicator of functional uh, abilities. Another scale that sometimes uses the disability rating scale or the DRS, where there's several different portions that go into this, including um, the, the GCS with eye-opening communication and motor response, which is essentially opposite the G GCS, where a previous it's on a scale from zero to three, four, or five, um, and where where on a GCS a one is poor, a zero is good in the DRS. Then you go through different um, FIMS, including feeding, toileting, grooming, as well as level of functioning, which includes physical and cognitive disability, and employability, such as a full-time worker, a homemaker, or, or a student. These are um, a lower score on a DRS uh, is better for the patient. It's a 30-point scale covering each of those dimensions as stated. Again, eye-opening, verbalization or communication, motor responsiveness, feeding, toileting, grooming, 
overall level of functioning, dependence, and deployability. And the DRS was developed specifically for brain injury, so that's one thing that it has going for it. It provides a quantitative index for disability, and it's more sensitive to clinical changes than um, the Glasgow Outcome Scale. What's interesting is that it does try to measure only cognitive skills in the categories of feeding, toileting, and grooming, and not so much the physical skills. Uh, this was something that we would use on our unit when doing our team rounds every week to try and see how a patient is improving, and it gives us a really good idea of what we're looking at. Another scale that's often used, especially in rehab and is very, very testable, is the Rancho Los Amigos scale, or the Rancho Los Amigos Levels of Cognitive Function scale. Um, and this is a scale from 1 to 8, typically. There is a, a, a grade 9 or 10, but it's not something that we really need to be going over. Um, the way I break this up is levels 1, 2, and 3 tend to be the disorders of consciousness. Levels 4, 5, and 6 tend to be the confused. And levels 7 and 8 are not confused. So level 1, uh, GCS, or excuse me, Rancho Los Amigos, uh, 1 is a coma. There's essentially no response. 2 is your vegetative state. And 3 is your... Um, minimally conscious state, where again, uh, coma, there's there's no response, there's no verbalization, you don't open your eyes, but your brain stem reflexes are intact. A two is where the persistent vegetative state, the difference between that and a coma is essentially the, the absence or the presence of sleep-wake cycles on EEG. And a three, um, minimally conscious state, is where there is interaction with the environment around you. There is some self-awareness there. A four is... Um, is where we started getting into the big ones. These are these are a little bit harder to determine between each other, four, five, and six. Again, these are all confused. Uh, num uh, level four is you're confused, agitated, and inappropriate. So they are swinging, they are yelling, they are hitting. These are the ones that are causing problems on your unit. The difference between a four and a five is that they are no longer agitated, so they are just confused and appropriate, or excuse me, confused and inappropriate but not agitated. These are the patients that... Um, they're fun to be around. They're the ones that say um, inappropriate things all the time. Uh, you'll hear family members complain about how uh, a patient used to be a good Christian woman, but now she says all the things that she wants to do about the person on the or to do to the person on the TV, things like that. A six is confused, not agitated, and appropriate. So they're just essentially they don't know where they are, what's going on. They're on La La Land, but they're appropriate. They're nice. They're great. They're they're pleasantly confused. A six is not confused, and now they're appropriate, but they have what are called automatic movements, which are, for example, if you were to put a comb in their hand, they would be able to comb it. But if you were to, or if you were to put a toothbrush in their hand with toothpaste, they would be able to brush their teeth. But if you tried to have them, if you explained to them to go brush their teeth, they may have a little bit of problems there. And a Glasgow Coma Scale of eight is um, purposeful and appropriate behavior which is um, essentially getting close to where, where they would be normal. So it's an eight-level global scale that focuses on cognitive recovery after, and behavior after TBI in general. Uh, we also talk a lot about functional independence measures. Again, this is kind of constant throughout rehab. It's an ordinal scale with 18 items and seven levels each that assess physical and cognitive function. These include self-care, communication, sphincter control, including bowel and bladder, psychosocial adjustment, uh, mobility, including transfers, toilet transfers, tub transfers, car transfers, walking, stairs, community access, cognitive function. Um, and these are on a scale from 1 to 7, 1 being total assist, 
um, up to four being minisyst, five is supervision, six is modified independence, and seven is completely independence. And these are good ways to track how people are recovering as well. The revised JFK coma scale is another one that could be done as well. Um, this theorizes hierarchical response from generalized to cognitive mediated for 25 items in six areas, which include auditory, visual, motor, oral modal or verbal, and communication and arousal. Uh, Giacchino et al. in 1991 found that the changes in the CRS scores showed stronger correlation with outcomes as measured by the DRS than initial one-time scores, and the change as a percentage of total score was greater for the coma recovery scale than it was for the GCS or the DRS. And a revised and restructured version was published in 2004 that supported this as well. Neuropsychological testing is something that's invaluable in the recovery of uh, brain injury. I remember in my unit, we would round daily with a neuropsychologist, and he was integral to the team. He may have been more integral to the team at times than I was. Uh, I say maybe. He definitely was. It seemed like he was doing a lot more for the patients than I was most of the time. But prior to the development of uh, the CT scanner, psychological assessment was utilized to determine the presence or lo location and type of brain lesion a patient had. And the halsted Reeton neuropsychological battery was used as a diagnostic test for all kinds of brain damage. The original battery was initially designed to assess frontal lobe disorders by Halstead and subsequently used by Reeton, uh, who added some tests and recommended its use as a diagnostic test for all kinds of brain, brain damage. And most examiners administer the battery in conjunction with the WAIS-R, which is the Weschler Adult Intelligence Revised, and the WMS, which is the Weschler Memory Scale, or the Minnesota Multiphasic Personality in, um, Inventory, which is the MMPI. The WACE R test eleven has eleven subtests, six which determine verbal IQ and five that determine performance IQ. The WACE R is uh, the most frequently used measure of general IQ, and the revised version of the WACE R is known as the WACE III, which components include verbal IQ, uh, specifically vocabulary, similarities, arithmetic, digit span, information, comprehension, letter number sequencing, and performance IQ, which is picture correlation, digit symbol coding, block design, matrix reasoning, picture arrangement, and object assembly. The Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory is... Um, consists of 550 true-false questions that yield information about aspects of personality, and it is, the most widely, it is the most widely and thoroughly researched objective measure of personality. Additionally, there is a token test, which correlates with scores on tests of auditory comprehension and language production, which is comprised of 20 tokens, such as circles slash squares or big slash little and five colors laid out horizontally, it's increasingly complex oral commands. For example, touch the white circle, later becomes before touching the yellow circle, pick up the red square, and has 90% sensitivity discriminating people with aphasias from normals. Some of the other indicators of outcome after TBI, again, age, older age associated with worse outcomes, good recovery is, likely, is less likely in patients that are greater than 65. There's also some neuroimaging, which includes certain features such as the depth of injury or bihemispheric lesions are associated with, out with worse outcomes, and good recovery is unlikely when bilateral hemispheric lesions are found on early MRI. There may also be some EEG uh, predictors as well. Some of the favorable, favorable include normal or rhythmic, uh, rhythmic theta activity or frontal delta activity as well as spindle pattern. Some of the poor prognostic indicators on the EEG include epileptiform, non-reactive, low-amplitude delta, and birth suppression activity. I don't know what those mean, 
but it's something to just consider when looking at EEGs as well. Uh, when we get to, as, as we move on, we're going to go through some of the medical management of TBI. This is something that you may be consulted on into an ICU, but a lot of times the neurosurgeons or the uh, surgical ICU teams are taken care of. The initial management includes resuscitation, such as ABCs. Uh, airway management may require endotracheal um, intubation to maintain oxygenation and airway protection, which is indicated in patients that are less than, um, with a GCS of less than 9. Uh, rapid sequent intubation is typically used where, sedate, where sedating and uh, paralytic agents such as succinylcholine, um, I see ketamine used a lot, could be used in emergent situations. Uh, previously, thiopental and fentanyl might have been used a lot as well. Careful attention should be given to the cervical spine to avoid neck manipulation and hard cervical collars um, in patients with severe TBI or those with a high index of suspicion of spine trauma. That's very common to have a uh, brain injury with a neck injury combined. Um, you also want to keep pay close attention to the oxygenation, uh, such as breathing. With a PO2, should, this should be kept between 100 and 120 millimeters of mercury, and a PCO2 should be kept between 28 and 32. Circulation is also important. You want to keep the central perfusion pressure or CPP at greater than 60. And remember, the central perfusion pressure, uh, pressure is equal to the mean arterial pressure minus the intracranial pressure. Um, you want to use hypersonic hypertonic saline solutions, osmotic diuretics, and crystalloids to decrease intracranial pressure. Some laboratory studies that may be beneficial in helping with the medical management of TBI include ABGs or arterial blood gases that can determine oxygenation or perfusion. Um, examples may include metabolic acidosis that is, the poor indic indicative, that, is, that is indicative of poor tissue perfusion with good oxygenation. Hemoglobin and hematocrit may also be used to level monitors of blood loss. Um, Metabolic panel may also be considered to monitor for hypokalemia and hyperglycemia, both of which can be seen in hyperadrenergic states. Alcohol and drug screens can also be beneficial. Imaging studies may be one of the most important things as well. A CT scan is what you want to be using first as it can get quick feedback and it doesn't take very long. This has reduced the morbidity and mortality as well as the need for surgical exploration of TBI. Early head CT is mandatory in GCS less than 13. You should be carried out as soon as uh, the patient has good oxygenation and is hemodynamically stable. So again, the ABCs first and then get them to CT scan. And CT is preferable early on as it can quickly demonstrate hemorrhagic lesions. However, it is, a, is poor in identifying non-hemorrhagic lesions, uh, making correlation with uh, eventual neurological outcomes poor. And it does not define the functional or metabolic status of the brain or provide information on blood flow. It's structural. It's, it's simply a structural and anatomical test. Brain MRI is another one that can be used and can define non-hemorrhagic lesions of the brain, including cortical contusions, subcortical gray matter injury, uh, gray matter injury, and brainstem lesions. It does take a little bit longer, 45 minutes compared to the five minutes it might take with a CT, and does not really affect early decision making. This is more for uh, advanced imaging if you're not seeing anything on CT that's correlating with the uh, clinical presentation of the patient. Um, MRI can be better here, and it can also help with prognosis as well. may come into play later in the management of TBI in terms of defining the lesions and extent of injury as well as guiding treatment options. One thing you want to make sure you're doing is serial neurological examinations or serial GCS scores, which can also determine if there are changes in pupillary responses and the unresponsive patient can be indicative of a special patholo pathology or worsening status. Anisocoria may include impending transtentorial herniation of the, uh, to the ipsilateral side. Again, this is um, where one, eye, one pupil does not match the other pupil. 
Uh, bilateral fixed dilated pupils may uh, indicate a poor outcome. Gaze deviations point to the side of the lesion. And rhythmic eye movement may, may indicate a seizure. Additionally, loss of corneal and oculocephalic reflexes are indicative of a severe TBI. Respiratory pattern should also be monitored as abnormal respiratory patterns may ind uh, indicate increasing ICP and herniation. Patients will initially present with tachypnea and hyperventilation, followed by irregular breathing patterns such as apnea, bradycardia, or the chain-stokes uh, pattern of breathing. Sedation is something that can be considered. Benzodiazepines are uh, GABA, GABAergic agents, gamma aminobutyric acid, um, which are often used in controlling agitation and anxiety. They have minimal hemo hemodynamic effects, and lorazepam or Ativan does not diminish the respiratory drive. They have no direct effect in increasing ICP or decreasing ICP, but long-term use can delay neurological recovery, so you want to be careful with that. Barbiturates can be used as well to induce a coma and decrease the metabolic requirements of the brain. Fentobarbital can also control, or pentobarbital may also control some intracranial pressure. Uh, propofol infusion can provide the same CNS depression as the barbiturates, and its short half-life can allow for frequent neurological examinations. You can turn it off and examine how they are doing. It can produce a dose-dependent hemodynamic and respiratory depression and should be used only in hemodynamically stable patients. Uh, it's believed to manifest its effect through uh, the GABA-A system as well, is similar to benzodiazepines and can be used for sedation in patients who are intubated in the intensive care unit. It has a relatively favorable side effect profile with a rapid return to consciousness after the infusion is discontinued. I tended to see this more when I was working in the ICU um, than I did anything else. Uh, propofol and fentanyl were probably the go-tos for sedation, but that doesn't mean that they're the only things that you can use for sedation. Evaluation of intracranial pressure is a uh, key component to medical management of TBI. In a normal adult reclining the head of the bed, the head and the trunk, Reclining the head and the trunk elevated to 45 degrees with normal ICP is between 2 to 5 millimeters of mercury. ICP levels up to 15 are considered harmless, and elevated ICP is anything greater than 20 for more than 5 minutes. It's common after severe TBI, about 53% reported in a recent series. Um, a unilateral mass lesion causes distortion of the brain and a reduction of the CSF volume, which also has an increase in the ICP of a of the, in the closed skull, leading to a formation of internal hernias, such as a tentorial or uncle herniation. About 75% of patients with severe TBI due to the de uh, deformation of tissue, the shift, and the development of internal hernias, and secondary damage to the CNS. If it's left unchecked, the increased ICP may cause death mainly because of deformation of tissues, brain shifts, herniation, and cerebral ischemia. ischemia. So you want to make sure that you're checking that ICP. Um, when ICP is greater than 40, there's uh, neurological dysfunction and impairment of the brain's electrical activity, and greater than 60 is invariably fatal. So pressures of 20 to 40 are associated with increased morbidity as well. Fever, hyperglycemia, hyponatremia, and seizures can also worsen um, cerebral edema by increasing the ICP. So it's something that you definitely want to be paying, paying close attention to. Uh, cerebral blood perfusion pressure, or CPP, is reduced when the ICP is increased, and it is more important to maintain an adequate cer or cerebral blood perfusion pressure than controlling the intracranial pressure. So CPP is calculated by subtracting the ICP from the MAP, and CPP should, be, should remain greater than 60 to ensure cerebral blood flow. So it's a combination of balancing act there. And there are some indications for continuous monitoring of intracranial pressure 
and for artificial ventilation. These are uh, in a gray box on page 72 of Cucurillo, and this includes a patient in a coma with a GCS less than 8 and with CT findings of increased intracranial pressure, such as an absence of third ventricle and CSF cisterns. A deep coma with a GCS of less than 6 without a hematoma can also be a consideration. Severe chest and facial injuries and moderate to severe head injury with a GCS of less than 12, as well as after evacuation of intracranial hemorrhage if a patient is in a coma with a GCS of less than 8 beforehand. All things to consider. Uh, continuous monitoring of ICP. And factors that may increase ICP include turning the head, especially to the left side if the patient is completely horizontal or head down. I'm not sure why the left side is more important there. Um, loud noise, vigorous physical activity, chest PT, um, suctioning, and elevated blood pressure can all increase ICP. And some methods used to monitor ICP include papilledema, which is rare in the acute stage after brain injury, despite the fact that, ICP, that increased ICP is frequent, and usually occurs bilaterally and may indicate presence of intracranial mass lesion and develops within 12 to 24 hours in cases of brain trauma and hemorrhage, but if pronounced, it usually signifies brain tumor or abscess. Um, that is a lesion of a longer duration. Uh, I've never had to use papilledema to monitor ICP. I've heard it being done more so by neuro-ophthalmologists um, or neuro-optometrists than it is for anything that I would be doing. A CT scan um, is also important as if, because if a CT scan can be equivocal, cisternography may also be done. Lumbar puncture, if no papilledema, can be performed, but you must rule out mass lesion first. A lumbar puncture carries a certain risk of causing fatal shift in the brain tissue, like a herniation in the setting of increased intracranial pressure. And intraventricular ICP monitoring can also be con considered. In order to help manage the intracranial pressure, um, you, you want to have the, the head of the bed elevated to about 30 degrees and the use of an intraventricular ICP catheters to monitor ICPs in severe injuries or those with abnormal CT scans is recommended. Use of steroids is not necessarily recommended. The CRASH trial showed a significant increase in two-week mortality in those given systemic steroids during the acute phase. That being said, I see patients on steroids all the time, particularly dexamethasone. Uh, barbiturates and decompressive craniotomies decrease ICPs but do not affect mortality and morbidity. Osmotic ages, diuretics, and hypertonic solutions are not treatment standards, but may have indications for use in increased ICPs. A CPP greater than 16 adults is recommended, and less than 50 is associated with decreased brain tissue oxygenation and increased morbidity and mortality. Intubation and hyperventilation can be considered as the reduction of PaCO2 through hyperventilation is the most rapid means of lowering ICP. So you hyperventilate the patient to try and reduce it. However, although transiently affecting the lower, effective in lowering ICP, it should only be used in acute neurologic deterioration. Optimal PaCO2 is approximately 30, to 30 millimeters of mercury. Neurosurgical decompression, which will be discussed in a little bit, and hypothermia may also be used to decrease ICP, and it may protect brain tissue by lowering cerebral metabolism. A study in 1997 by Marion demonstrated that the treatment of hypothermia for 24 hours in severe TBI patients, a GCS of 5 to 7, was associated with an improved outcome. So that's some of the medical management that we can be considering. When we talk about the surgical management of TBI, indications include a penetrating injury, a compound depressed skull fracture, epidural hematoma, subdural hematoma, and focal contusion or intracerebral hemorrhage. Now there may be some criteria for this as well, such as an emergency craniotomy is a definitive care for significant um, traumatic epidurals and subdural hematomas. 
about 40% of patients with a GCS less than 9 will have intracranial hematomas, and a comatose patient who underwent surgery within 4 hours had better outcomes. When it's performed mainly to remove the source of the mass effect or increasing ICP to clean or to clean and debride contaminated open wounds and penetrating trauma. Emergency burr holes can also be considered, which are indicated for a rapidly deteriorating patient who exhibits signs of impending transitory herniation caused by expanding epidural or subdural hematoma. I've seen both of these used. Um, craniotomies are typically, uh, I've seen it stored in the patient's body, and I've also seen uh, new craniotomies, prosthetic craniotomies, or uh, skulls f created to help uh, for reimplant for reimplantation. Um, for cranioplasty. I've also seen burr holes done. Uh, Kukul also mentions a temporal lobe or a tentorial uncle herniation. An uncle herniation results when the medial part of the temporal lobe or the uncus and parahippocampal gyrus is displaced over the edge of the ipsilateral tentorium as to compress the third cranial nerve, midbrain, cerebral cortex, and subthalamus. It occurs as a result of increased supertentorial pressure and it is commonly associated with hematoma, such as a subdural epidural hematoma, secondary to trauma or to a brain tumor. Uncle herniation is the medial temporal lobe produces, or excuse me, uncle herniation of the medial temporal lobe produces stretching of the cranial nerve 3, or oculomotor nerve, which causes ipsilateral pupillary dilation and may lead to complete ipsilateral CN3 palsy, such as a fixed pupil dilation, um, ptosis, and later ophthalmoplegia. Ipsilateral hemiparesis can also occur due to pressure in the cerebral cortical, excuse me, of the cortical spinal tract located on the contralateral uh, cruce cerebri. And contralateral hemiparesis due to uh, pressure from edema or mass effect on the precentral motor cortex of the, or the internal capsule. And an uncle herniation, reduced consciousness and bilateral motor signs appear relatively late. Central hyperventilation may also occur late in uncle herniation. Okay, so we've gone through some of the prognostic indicators and some of the medical treatment, surgical treatments of an acute C, uh, TBI. And a little bit, or in the next section, we'll start going over um, medical and neurological complications after a TBI.